Hello, and welcome to the CRE with Cobal Banker Commercial Worldwide Podcast. In today's volatile commercial real estate market, owners of property are looking to identify new ways to generate income for their property, new ways to add value, because transactions aren't just aren't happening like they used to. And with the downward pressure on prices, they're looking for new income streams to improve their property. So today's podcast guest is really going to be uh, lead us to a discussion about one method to help an owner both reduce costs in a property as well as generate new income. With us today is Zachary Vaughn, real estate account executive at SolarCal, a Boston-based firm. Energy efficiency is a common topic for commercial property owners and users in continuous efforts to reduce operating costs as well as to address environmental concerns. However, an alternative consideration for property owners is how can a property generate additional income streams beyond rent by leveraging energy production opportunities. In the past, property owners may have generated additional income from, you know, for example, making parking available on a property for special events. But what if a property owner could leverage a real estate asset for long-term gain by generating energy, particularly solar energy by leasing or developing solar production capabilities on a rooftop or on excess land? My name is Dan Spiegel, Managing Director of Cobalt Banker Commercial, and I'll be your host today. CBC has close to 3,000 commercial real estate professionals across the U.S., uh, North America, plus representation in countries around the globe. Zachary Vaughn, our guest today, and I had the opportunity to meet at a recent Blueprint conference in Las Vegas. We were brought together by venture capital fund Modern Ventures to explore new concepts and opportunities to work together. In today's episode, we're going to dive deep into this emerging opportunity for property owners and a firm like SolarCal is making it easier for owners to leverage their real estate holdings in new ways. Zachary has an undergraduate degree in business from Fordham University and recently completed a master's in real estate development at MIT. He additionally held roles in brokerage and advisory work in the commercial real estate industry. Zachary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Why don't we always like to start out with just, could you tell us a little bit about your background, the path you took to get into your current role, and in particular, what interested you uh, about solar energy and solar cal and bringing this idea and concept to the commercial real estate industry? Yeah, absolutely. So my whole background is pertinent to maybe your audience. It's commercial real estate focused. I worked primarily in corporate office for the majority of my career, working at JLL, JP Morgan, and then WeWork. And eventually I I wanted some form of a change. And I think COVID was a big impact of wanting that career change. So I decided to go back to school and pursue my master's in real estate development, thinking that I, I wanted to go into, into traditional development. But while I was there, you know, I got a flavor of a lot of different subject matters like affordable housing, tokenization of real estate, um, clean energy. And some of these new subject matters really intrigued me. And coming out of the program, I had opportunities to delve deeper into sustainable energy. And that's what I've been pursuing since. But my world is continuously overlapping with the built environment in my old real estate network. So figuring out this relationship between clean energy and real estate is like this perfect position that I love living in right now. Um, and that's what I'm pursuing currently. Excellent. So interesting background, kind of a, a interesting path, but it's a combination of personal interest as well as professional uh, interest as well. So that yep. obviously makes for a passion of yours. Yeah. So why don't we start out just with the basics here? What is the connection between solar energy generation and commercial real estate? 
Great question. So I think in the past, at least from coming from real estate, real estate people always wanted to stay in their lane. Real, we want to do real estate deals, nothing else. And I think in the past several years, because of the Inflation Reduction Act and investment tax credit, that opens the arena for tapping into incentives and grants for sustainable products like solar, like battery, green hydrogen, et cetera, there is an ability for real estate players to start playing in the energy space. And a lot of what I'm hearing from real estate people is they don't want to just stay in their lane anymore. They want to be open to the idea of being their own utility company, either for themselves as an owner-occupier or for their tenants. Um, and that can be both a financial play as well as an environmental play. So it really depends on the type of real estate institution that I'm dealing with or who your listeners might be. If they're a public REIT, maybe they're more focused on the ESG metrics. If they're a private company, obviously economics need to be you know, a main focal point. And I can kind of speak to the amazing incentives that come along um, with doing deals in the energy space to apply it to your real estate assets. Great. That's a good, it's a good overview. As I said in my opening comments, in sort of a challenging transaction market, owners are looking for new ways to make sure they bolster the value of their property as well as retain tenants. And I imagine that solar energy generation can can help achieve both goals or help contribute to both goals. So let's, uh, let, let's be a little bit more specific here. When thinking about solar energy generation as an option, is it appropriate for one asset class versus another? Is there is there only one asset class this works for? Does it work for multiple? Do you need a certain minimum rooftop square footage or parking acreage or land parcel available before considering solar energy generation as an opportunity for a real estate owner? Great question. So it's not asset specific, although it works better for specific assets. So obviously industrial is a very large flat roof. So it's going to work really well with logistics, industrial, warehousing. You get the most bang for your buck, especially when it comes to roof leasing opportunities. And I can speak to those, those different pathways um, shortly. But specifically in regards to asset types, anything with large roofs makes great for rooftop solar. But it's not just limited to that asset class. I have a lot of clients, especially in the multifamily space, that are starting to build on more multifamily assets. It works again better for flat roofs versus say garden style. Not to say that you can't do it on those those type of products. You can. It just becomes a little bit more difficult. And then, you know, you can still do it in office. I find that office owners are not as engaged right now given the difficulty of the office market. Um, so wanting to put that capital to different use. So it's really agnostic to asset type. But when you're starting to go down the lane of figuring out which pathway you want to go down for solar, that really starts to dictate which asset class is better. So I mentioned about industrial being a better alternative for roof leasing. So roof leasing does require minimum sizing across the country. So you have pro community solar programs in Illinois, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Maryland. California is about to open up their own community solar program any day now. And as part of that program, they typically require about like one megawatt to submit into kind of community solar or roof leasing programs. One megawatt typically for rule of thumb in the world of square footages for people equates to about 100,000 square feet of rooftop space. So that's a kind of a good baseline to go against. But you, you can also find that there might be a minimum for power purchase agreements too. Power purchase agreements is you 
allowing a solar developer to build solar on your roof and sell you power back at a discounted rate to the local utility, most of the time those solar developers are looking for large opportunities. So, you know, there might be a minimum square footage rooftop space that they're looking for, similar to roof leasing, whereas you're just obtaining uh, lease revenue very similarly to an industrial tenant. The third alternative route to solar is direct ownership. Direct ownership is when you are actually purchasing these panels, paying for all the soft costs to implement and install these on your rooftops. But that can be really asset agnostic, and we find it more common for smaller system sizes. Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I think uh, what I heard there was it sounds like in general, 100,000 square feet of rooftop will let you generate the one, was it kilowatt hour, I think you said? One megawatt. Megawatt hour. Sorry about that. And that's sort of a minimum in some states. Uh, so that's so the 100,000 square feet at least is a benchmark, but it's a little bit agnostic to property type. Uh, I imagine A, industrial buildings have that large rooftop. So that's a plus for industrial owners. Uh, and then you also mentioned multifamily. And I imagine for multifamily owners, you know, as well as industrial owners, generating energy is a income generating, but it also could be a way to attract and retain tenants by providing, you know, either energy at a lower cost or maybe, you know, I'll call it socially aligned energy generation or something like that, depending on the, the framework of the owner. So kind of a lot of different angles there to work. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's important because it's it does provide opportunity that maybe is sort of sitting unrealized on people's roofs, so to speak, right? Basically what it is. Yeah, I think people just need to ask themselves, what is the goal that solar can do for me? Is it a is it a way to retain tenants, to keep tenants? Is it a way to increase revenue? Is it a way to decrease operating expenses? And we can really kind of go through that analysis and goal setting with you. So let's, it's, I want to follow up on one other thing you said, which kind of surprised me. You mentioned in several states that have sort of incentives for generating Illinois, I think it was Maryland, uh, Massachusetts, and maybe soon California, a couple others, which sort of surprises me because I won't consider those Sunbelt states or sunny states, right? Yeah. So is, are there states, you know, irrespective of the amount of sun where it makes more sense to turn to a marketplace like SolarCal and, and think of it as an opportunity or... You know, or is it, is it really truly available anywhere in the U.S.? Great question. So the, the two issues that I say that SolarCal really solves, first is, in my opinion, the price gouging issue that's really happening across the sector. There's over 4,000 solar vendors in the United States. And what we've done is we've consolidated that down to 200 of the best high quality vendors that move in and out of state lines. Um, so we have some vendors that work in some states, others that work in you know different states. Um, so we're helping provide, you know, about 7.4 bids on average for each project, which is quite stellar. And and clients are very quickly able to see the massive price disparities between one bid and the next. We sometimes see 50 to 200% price difference between bids. But in addition to solving for price gouging, the, the big component is the science and art to solar. So the, the science part is the marketplace. The art form is the human touch. And so we really believe in consultancy. And because this industry is ever-changing, State policy, in addition to city policy, is, is, is changing monthly at this rate with the sustainability sector. So what we do is we work with our clients to understand which states and assets are worthy of solar today from an economic, you know, make sure it pencils today. And then we track policy in the other states that it might not pencil today. And at what point does policy change to allow that return on investment to hit certain thresholds? So you're right. The Sun Belt, oddly enough, is just not great 
for solar today because electricity rates are really low. Policy is just not as progressive yet um, in regards to implementing you know, so, uh, sustainable products within those markets. But we're constantly tracking those policy changes and I notify my clients when and if they do change to hit their certain investment thresholds. Right. So that that is just kind of an irony, right? You think of Sunbelt states as having a lot of sun. And yes, they probably have a lot of opportunity to generate solar. But in this context, um, which also involves you know state incentives and so forth, uh, it may not be those states, as well as the competitive cost of energy. It's a great point, right? Where energy cost is higher, the opportunity to introduce lower cost energy uh, is a bigger opportunity for that owner. Before we go into a discussion about the different state incentives, that was an interesting point about the uh, Sunbelt states versus the states where there are incentives in place. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, uh, which is if I were an owner of a property and I have this rooftop of, let's say, minimum of 100,000 square feet, there are a couple different options that from like SolarCal could help me think through to if I wanted to go forward with this opportunity. So one was, I think, leasing the rooftop. I imagine that's sort of like leasing space in a way. You're basically renting your rooftop, generating income from it to an outside firm that puts the panels on. You could own the panels. And was there a third one that I that I don't recall? Do you want to just summarize those, those different paths for, for generating energy on the roof? Yeah. I like to think of it in, especially for real estate people, CapEx routes versus no CapEx routes. The CapEx route is going to be the capital intensive, uh, direct ownership. In this scenario, you are purchasing all of those panels and installation, but the benefit of that pathway to solar is you're tapping into all of the federal, state, and city incentives that are available, and you're really measuring this based on an ROI. The no CapEx routes to solar include power purchase agreements and roof leasing. So again, power purchase agreements, meaning you are allowing a solar developer to build on your roof and sell you power back at a discounted rate to the local utility. The other no CapEx route is roof leasing. Roof leasing means that you are leasing your roof to a solar developer on a long-term contract, say 20 to 25 years, and collecting a paycheck monthly, very similarly to an industrial tenant. Okay. So I did get it. Three different ways, potentially, and I imagine that's where SolarCal comes in. It helps an owner evaluate the options uh, for the rooftop and and help and then help get the bids to, to go down the path that's preferred by that owner. Um, okay, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the state incentives. How would I, if I were a property owner, how would I go find out more information about my state's incentives? Yeah, it's a really tricky process right now. You know, there needs to be a main portal where all of this exists, but it really sadly does not right now. And so what we do really with our clients is sit in an advisory seat and investigate every single policy under the sun that can real, that they can tap into both from a federal, state, and local level. So when I was naming those kind of three pathways to solar, those three pathways are not always available um, within a specific state line. So, you know, direct ownership in the state of Mississippi is probably going to be the only pathway because developers are not interested in PPAs and roof leasing programs like community solar programs are just not available. They haven't been passed from a legislation perspective. So we help our clients by analyzing, okay, which which state is your asset really located in? And then we drill even further, what city is it located in? What utility is it located in? So we're constantly drilling deep to find all of the appropriate centers that they can tap into. And that's not just specific to rooftop solar, that's specific to ground mounts, and carports. Specific states have specific programs specifically for those type of products as well. 
Los Angeles is a really good example. They have an amazing carport program where you can basically have 60 to 70% of your capital expenditure covered by incentives. Um, and so we're constantly kind of investigating all of these amazing policies, not just at a federal level, but all the way down to local municipalities. Right. So there's three different paths we covered, and we'll probably come back to those in a little bit. But then those, which path you choose isn't simply a preference. It has to align with what incentives might be out there. Uh, either there are incentives or not incentives, and it might help you direct which path to go down if you're, I was the owner of a building. Cool. I mean, that's a lot of detail there, and it's a lot of understanding. That's why there's firms like your own that can help people think through this, right? In terms of property ownership and in what scale, does it make sense? Let's say I have a building of you know 200,000 square feet, we'll say on an industrial side. That's one type of potential user, right? And another user could be, as you mentioned, a reader or a private investor that owns seven different buildings. Uh, maybe they're all in the same state, maybe not. So why don't you just talk about a minute? Does it make sense for a single property owner to engage with SolarCal and, and explore these opportunities? Or is it really just sort of economies of scale are better when you own multiple properties with multiple rooftops? And do those properties have to be in the same state? Yeah, great question. So first and foremost, no, it doesn't matter if you're just a single commercial owner. At that point, I would say that the benefit of the marketplace approach is being able to get you know seven to 10 bids on a project so that you can actually see comps. I think the main issue that's really happening in the sustainability sector today is that there are no comps. We both come from the real estate world where kind of there's so many different technologies and systems to kind of tap into and see what is an appropriate lease rate, what's an appropriate sale rate, but that really doesn't exist in the sustainability sector. So we're able to give as many bids from high quality vendors, even to single owners, but my pitch is in a, who I work mainly with are large portfolio companies. Um, so we, you know, work with Plymouth REIT, Federal, Trammel Crow, Graystar, companies with larger portfolios where we're able to not just help them from a procurement perspective, but really help them from an advisory and analysis perspective. So I'll look at their list of 100 sites and say, of this, only really 20% makes sense for solar today. I'm not going to oversell you. You know, you say you want to hit this certain type of um, IRR, these states will will help you do that. The other ones will track, will monitor, and I'll let you know when they hit those certain investment thresholds for you. Right. So it could work for a single asset, some clients or your portfolio assets, but it's not necessarily the entire portfolio. As you just uh, explained, it could be, you know, you own 50 industrial assets, but it's only going to work for 20. And again, that's part of the role of SolarCal to kind of consult with uh, to consult with the owners to which is the best approach, which properties, which of the three approaches we talked about make sense and so forth. Um, so again, a lot of nuance there. In a sense, you know, just to translate it to uh, a brokerage professional, really, you know, you're sort of a a broker for the broker, right? It's, it's sort of brokering the space on the roof, and then I I use that in a positive way because the ownership doesn't really have the knowledge or access to the information. You know, you're you're engaging someone else to help you find that best operator or opportunity on that roof. So uh, I think to our brokerage audience, that makes total sense because it's exactly what we do for ownership. You know, brokerage professionals do for ownership day to day. Interesting. So that's so all the things I think we've talked about so far are paths to generating income for the property owner, right? That's as I said in the opening, that's certainly one aspect of this. The other is what we, if I go down the path and I generate energy via solar, how, whichever of the three paths one chooses, how is that a potential benefit to me as a landlord to attract and retain tenants? 
there an aspect of it that, so there's a cost. I guess one of those I just explained, which is if I can generate a lower cost of energy, these would be competitive properties that make sense. But in what other ways is the leasing or other another rather development of the rooftop for solar energy a benefit for attracting and retaining tenants? Great question. So yeah, you're right. Roof leasing is an added revenue. That power is being sold back to the grid. But the other pathways, like power purchase agreements and direct ownership, is you can sell that power back to your tenants, or you can use it yourself if you're an owner-occupier. But when thinking about it from a tenant attraction point, I find that the majority of tenants who are interested in this clean energy are more so the, the public companies right now, um, just because they are being measured on that. And there's a lot of new regulation coming out from the SEC in regards to how companies, public companies need to start disclosing climate disclosures. So adding clean energy to your assets to attract well-credited public companies is a great tactic. A lot of private tenants um, are not, it doesn't seem as of yet, so interested in the clean approach, but you're right that the reduction in energy costs is more so the play there. So if you're able to kind of go to market and say, you know, our the the triple net rent is X, but we're able to offer you, you know, cheaper electricity than the asset down the road, that definitely is a is a um a play that you can add to your marketing campaign. Right. So you know, if I'm a big occupier of let's say distribution space and I can lower my energy cost across multiple properties in multiple states, that's, you know, hopefully that's a triple net lease, right? That's all, that's all to my bottom line, right? That's all, that's all great. And then second, if I happen to be a publicly traded company that has a focus on a portion of the business being green generated and so forth, that may be a double benefit right there. Um, So interesting, kind of lots of, lots of twists and turns there to understand how it all comes together. You know, speaking of, you know, how it comes together, is there a a relationship between like, let's say it was a publicly re-owned asset and the tenant and the solar developer? Do that, is there some kind of agreement between all three to align interests? I love that question because it's happening right now. Um, we are working with a large public REIT in Tennessee. Tennessee is, is not the best solar state, but the tenant is very ESG focused. And so they approached their landlord being this public REIT saying, we want to incorporate solar to this asset. We're okay with 10-year paybacks. Again, not a great solar state. You're not seeing the typical three to five-year paybacks like a grade A state. But they approached their landlord saying, we really want to incorporate solar because we have certain ESG metric and reporting that we want to hit. And so right now we're working through a tri-party agreement. The public REIT is completely on board. The tenant is excited about adding solar. And then once we go out to bid and start to incorporate the vendor, It'll be a tri-party agreement between the owner, the tenant, and the solar developer. So this is definitely happening, and it's it's occurring a lot more today than it was maybe in the past year. Right, and it keeps their interest aligned, and they're kind of one kind of one agreement, tri-party agreement like that. And, and then you also just identified something else. So even in a state where the incentives may not be in place, you could be a you know an independent private business that has an interest in being in a property that generates solar energy or uses green energy, so to speak. And you may talk to your landlord about, hey, would you explore this for me, right? If you want to keep me as a tenant, I'd like you to explore this. And in the case example you just gave, it was a REIT, but I guess it could be a private owner as ownership as well. So uh, interesting that those uh, the different parties kind of line up. 
uh, the beauty of it all lining up together. So in the, well, is there, a, of the three different ways we've talked about, is there a, a typical length of an agreement that one would put in place? You know, a, a, an industrial lease might be five years, right, for a tenant. So is the owner obligated to potentially longer term leasing of the rooftop vis-a-vis, you know, relative to what a, the tenant's lease may be? Great question. So the typical useful life of solar, the actual equipment is around 25 to 30 years and it's continuously getting better year over year. And so because of these useful lives, solar developers are really chasing longer term leases and opportunities. So for the world of PPAs, power purchase agreements, and roof leases, the average term length is about 20 to 25 years. And so if you're able to lock in a roof lease with a high quality solar vendor, you could have you know great income streams for the next 25 years. And a lot of Real estate investment firms are, are thinking of that as an additional revenue line item to increase NOI to then, in fact, increase economic value of the asset upon you know terminal value when they exit the property. So interesting that that's the 25-year term is one. Is there any shorter term that would be in place or is it really only make long-term? And, and does the agreement transfer to the new ownership if the building should sell during that 25-year term? Great question. Yeah. So that contract is going to stay in place with the existing vendor, um, the solar developer who is on your roof. So just like you are you know, transferring the lease contract of an industrial tenant to the new owner, that same solar developer contract is going to transfer to that new owner as well. But again, these contracts are going to be long-term for PPAs and roof leasing. If you're going the direct ownership route, obviously, you know, you own these assets. So the, the potential value that you spent CapEx-wise on those assets would then transfer to that new owner as well. Right. So it's really a long-term benefit to the property, right? It's the, it's in terms you can potentially get longer-term leases in place. You can generally generate more income. And when you sell the property, you're giving it sort of an added benefit to the buyer. And I imagine sort of over time that that interest in, in keeping energy costs low and, and green energy may, may increase. I can't say for sure, but none of us can, but it seems like that's the path that we might be on. Because um, one thing is energy prices tend to only go up over time, over the long term. In terms of working with the utility, do as an owner, depending, I suppose, on the path, do I have to, do I as an owner have to, you know, secondarily go negotiate with the uh, utility or is that something that SolarCal does or, you know, how's that work, I guess? Yeah, great question. The only instance where you are really engaged with the utility is if you are selling that power back to the grid. Um, so maybe through like a community solar program or roof leasing in which you would probably need like interconnection, interconnection, meaning you are in fact connecting to the grid. Um, it's just a fancy word for that process, but that process is quite lengthy. I mean, there's a lot of wall street journal, New York times articles about how much the utilities are backlogged by a lot of these interconnection queues. Um, but that interconnection typically takes around six to nine months to get reviewed and approved. And you typically need that approval when going through on roof leasing, but we here at um, SolarCal can kind of manage that process on your behalf. So you really don't have to take on the heavy lifted dealing dealing with that. So yeah, that's good because I wouldn't want to deal that as an owner, I can tell you that. I, another thing that just came to mind, if I'm looking at constructing a new building, so right now I know, let's say in multifamily, some municipalities, I don't know if it's at the state level yet, might require charging EV charging infrastructure in a new apartment building, right? So if I'm looking at building, if I'm either a developer or um, an investor, I suppose, in developing a new property, 
is there something I should be thinking about in terms of making the property solar ready, so to speak? I mean, if that's a phrase, I don't know, but is there something one should think about in the construction that could make it an option either for me or the next owner of the property? That is a fantastic question. And I wish everyone was thinking about this through the schematic design and design development phases of new development. It's an amazing opportunity to bring in someone like SolarCal or someone, you know, like a vendor to start thinking through the design of the solar and the system sizing that could be placed on that asset. Because a lot of building infrastructure systems sit very wonky on roofs, and there's a way to go through that design process to make sure that you're maximizing your solar capability. Um, so bringing us in early is is great. And 25% of the projects that we work on are actually in the development phase. So you know, incorporating us early can help through maximizing solar. But you're so spot on. EV charging is ramping up across the country. I personally think it's going to start just being built into zoning codes um, and being mandated. So, you know, thinking through carport strategies as well is really essential for multifamily and even office developers when they start to think through, you know, incorporating solar to offset that energy load that's going to be required from EV charging. Right. So I imagine, you know, as an architect, and as an owner, developer, you're just thinking of how high is the clearance and, and uh, how long does the roof last? You, know, you aren't really thinking about things like where do I place the HVAC units or something like that that might be more strategically placed if I in the future plan to put a bunch of panels on my roof. Is that I think that's the kind of thing you're talking about, right? Exactly right. Okay, got it. Uh, super cool. I mean, there's so many things to think about as a current owner or as a you know, future owner, and well as uh, both generating income as well as and uh, also generating uh, opportunities to retain and attract tenants. So why don't you let's just go back to the role of Solar Cows as, as a firm. So we I think we've covered that you're in a way an intermediary between ownership and these different paths. But why don't you, if you can, perhaps succinctly you know, wrap around the, what are the kind of services that Solar Cow provides? Uh, to a property owner who is looking at any of the variety of things, we, any of the paths that we've talked about. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that question. So SolarCal is the largest marketplace of pre-vetted commercial solar vendors in the United States, meaning again, 4,000 solar vendors in the United States. We've narrowed it down to 200 of the best high quality vendors to make sure that you are choosing a vendor that you know um, is avoiding bankruptcy risk, is using really well-vetted equipment, um, has done prior projects, um, and that just you're aligning to a good uh, vendor first and foremost. The second thing is we provide 7.4 bids on average per project, which is again stellar compared to the industry average of maybe like one to two if you were to try to do it yourselves. The last thing is on average, we save our clients about 43% when measuring that middle bid to the winning bid. But if you were to measure it kind of from the lowest to the highest, it's double that closer to maybe 90%, thus kind of validating that price gouging issue. So from the perspective of the marketplace, we're helping through price transparency. But again, science and art, we really believe in consultancy and helping our clients through the advisory and analysis phase to help them even understand where and if solar is even possible. It is the expense for this paid out of your uh, consultant fee, advisory fee that they pay to solar cow, or is it paid out of the term of the lease like a, like a uh, commission would be paid? Great question. So... We charge our clients a very small consultancy fee up front just to make sure that they are actually wanting to be engaged and move forward in a process like this. Again, very small, and I can discuss that fee you know, with clients. Uh, but the way in which we make our bread and butter 
is through a service fee that we collect from the awarded winning vendor. Um, and we have a pre-negotiated rate card with our vendors, um, similar to how, you know, at Coldwell being a brokerage firm. Um, you can think of it similarly, maybe to a brokerage fee. Yeah, excellent. So great discussion today, Zachary. Really appreciate the the time and the depth that we've explored this topic because I do think it's a topic that listeners may not have thought about. And in this time when properties are not moving and not selling, so to speak, or maybe challenging to attract or retain tenants, considering the solar option if the property's you know the right size and so forth is a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to to think about you know it's new ways to generate income for the property owners. Uh, it's new ways to attract and retain ten tenants and distinguish the property from the competition. And it sounds like solar cow kind of makes it easy, right? It's like you you have that knowledge of incentives, industry, state, which the different paths, you know, CapEx versus OpEx and all the things that one want, want to consider. So you're really a kind of a consultancy as well as an intermediary to bring the parties together uh, if, it all, if it all makes sense. So Zachary, if people want to explore more how would they get a hold of Zachary Vaughn of SolarCal? What's the best way to reach you? Best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. I love my LinkedIn. So feel free to find me, Zachary Vaughn at SolarCal, or you can email me at Zachary.Vaughn at SolarCal.com. I know, you know that Coldwell has you know a large brokerage community. I work with brokers all the time. I'm a licensed broker myself in the state of New York. So I understand your world. Um, we have a referral program. Um, here at SolarCal for brokers, if you want to outreach us and and learn more about that referral program to see you know how you potentially um, make some money as well um, and introduce us to your clients, that would be an amazing way for us to get engaged. Yeah, great point for the brokerage professionals who might be listening to this. A referral, first of all, it strengthens your you know relationship with a client just to talk about an opportunity that might enrich them. So number one is just having that conversation might just show that you're a little bit smarter than the competition, so to speak. But number two, as you just said, there is a referral program if a brokerage professional should refer a property owner to you uh, and a deal is concluded uh, to develop the rooftop, lease the rooftop, whichever path is chosen, there is a referral program back to the brokerage professional. So that's great to know. And just to clarify for listeners, SolarCal is spelled S-O-L-A-R-K-A-L. Um, I know I, I'm assuming people would figure that out, but I'm not sure that's clear. So SolarCal, S-O-L-A-R-K-A-L, Zachary Vaughn. Zachary, again, thank you so much for being our guest on our podcast today. I think it's a super interesting uh, conversation and topic to think about. As I said, again, in a challenging real estate market, what are the opportunities to increase income and distinguish a property from the competition? If you like today's podcast, we we like you to follow and like our podcast, CRE with CBC Worldwide. Uh, we have a variety of topics that we cover, and it's always great to have guests like Zachary on it and have great listeners like yourselves uh, on the podcast. So please like and follow our podcast. And until next time, uh, thank you for listening.